I'm Alex. And I'm Carolina. And welcome to Beyond Bisexual Lighting, a monthly podcast exploring world queer cinema. While we can't give queer cinema a clear definition, locked inside a single format or language as it cuts across fiction, documentary, and even animation, we will be discussing how many films within the scope actively disagree with heteronormativity. We're also going to give discuss how queer cinema sometimes operates through subversion rather than open challenge, a mode of dissent as a response of severe punishments that have long rained down upon LGBTQIA folk. But overall, we hope that this archive will reveal how queer sexuality and gender expression lie at the heart of contradictory desires to both expose oneself as well as to hide within the film medium. Before each episode as well as on the episode description, we will be giving a brief content warning. The episode today includes conversations regarding dysfunctional families, HIV and AIDS, and motherhood. I messed up. I mean, I fucked it all the way up. I know that. But your heart ain't gotta be back like mine, baby. I love you, Sharon. I do. I love you, baby. I mean, you ain't gotta love me. Lord knows I did not have love for you when you needed it. I know that. So you ain't gotta love me. But you gonna know that I love you. You hear? So we wanted to take this first episode to talk just as an icebreaker to talk about our favorite queer films. And so Alex and I gave each other homework to watch our respective favorite films from a queer lens and discuss them. So what's your favorite queer film? (laughs) Um, It's funny because we talk about this all the time and now that we're up and live and, and center, we're like choking. They're like, what's a movie? <laughs> what does that mean? What are what are moving pictures? What is a queer? <laughs> How is a queer formed? How is Babby formed? Um, it's a good question. I think that because this has been kind of a topic of discussion for a while. Um, I really think that a film like Moonlight is very much a contemporary classic, and I know that it's something that was like widely acclaimed when it came out but i haven't really like beyond like the cinema canon i really haven't like heard that much about it since um i know that barry jenkins is i don't know if he's still working on current projects i know he did like a bill street talk the adaptation from um james baldwin book that film was also beautiful but i think what really makes moonlight unique is this three-act structure that Barry Jenkins bases the narrative off of. Um, The fact that there's like an adolescence where we find 
the young, young boy, little. And then we're introduced to his environment, his Miami environment, his mother, the relationship, the relationship with Juan. And then we move on to him as a teen, where we really are intimately introduced to how he's forming relationships with his peers, and we're introduced to subjects like bullying and experimenting with your sexuality, you know, kissing somebody for the first time, confusion, um, intimidation, and then we move on to Black, which is um, little as an adult. And I think that that part was some of the best filmmaking I've ever seen, some of the best cinematography I've ever seen. But I think beyond that, the relationship that we find him having with his mother is very, very, very important. And I don't know if I can recall like a lot of films that that kind of display that dysfunctional relationship between mother and son, the way Barry Jenkins did. To add a little bit for those who haven't seen Moonlight, which, what are you doing listening to this? Like, get stop it, stop it, go watch a movie. Like I said, contemporary classic. I mean, if you haven't seen it, then I, I mean, I guess you're living under a rock and that's okay. And, <laughs> and welcome, welcome to real life. But it's a, as Gotta mention it's a film directed and written by Barry Jenkins. It's an adaptation of a play that never went into production, which is really sad because I, as as someone that is a theater nerd, uh, I I enjoy these three act formats. Uh, obviously, it doesn't hurt that you have a well rounded cast. I mean, we have Mahershala Ali, Naomi Harris, uh, Janelle Monae. Um, yes. I mean, the production of everything is is really beautiful, and you can definitely see Barry Jenkins's influences on his sleeve, especially when it comes to other queer cinema films that we'll probably talk about later in the series, like Wong Kar Wai, for example. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, it's really funny that you mentioned the the relationship between mother and son and that sort of kind of relationship of control and, and power. Because I feel that the my favorite film, my favorite queer film, also tackles those types of subjects. Um, my favorite queer film is Todo Sobre Mi Madre, or in English, All About My Mother. It's a Spanish film, as in, as in Spain, uh, as in the colonial motherland, I guess. Um, we live in Latin America. You know, right? <laughs> so that's why we say that. But it's a, it's about a, a single mother who's a nurse that uh, she lives with her son and her son dies on his birthday. Uh, and she is forced to grapple through this identity crisis of what does it mean to be a mother that's lost her son. And also, as well, what it means to be a mother in every type of aspect, as a woman, as a caretaker, as a mother with a past. And it's, it's, very, it's very interesting in the sense of how these dynamics of power and control come into play that are quite similar to 
to Moonlight and as well uh, authenticity. I think those are definitely some themes that both movies uh, have in common. Uh, the feeling of, in, in Moonlight's case, what does it mean to be an authentic man? Uh, that, uh, that authentic masculinity that always seems out of reach. And in the case of Todo Sobre Mi Madre, um, what does it mean to be a, a woman? Uh, and a mother in every aspect of the way, uh, good and bad, uh, and everything in between. I think that the correlation between motherhood and Dos Mi Madre is interesting because we're not really just focusing on one mother. We're focusing on various relationships between um, a parent and their, and their child or their person. Even if that child is an adult. Um, we see it with Penelope Cruz. Rosa. 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 Penelope, basically, who hasn't seen it, Penelope Cruz plays a hot nun, a fine ass nun um, named Rosa. It's actually like one of her first film roles. I think that's like what kind of catapulted her. And Mulder was like, that was like his muse. Yeah. Penelope Cruz. And but, come on, come on, like Spanish cinema. Yep. Yeah, to give context, so the film was is done by Pedro Almodovar, who has had very many films that address what it means to be a woman, um, but probably none that weave in multiple layers of womanhood and motherhood. Um, I don't want to say just like femininity because there's within the concept of womanhood and motherhood you see very many aspects um, you have. Uh, you have a character that's openly transgender, for example. Uh, you have a, a queer couple with a uh, age difference and a very, you know, power dynamic based relationship, uh, both professionally and personally. And it's it's sometimes a hot mess. It is sometimes a very hot mess. And, and we'll talk about that. The sense of it's both kind of high art and low art. It's the essence of camp. Camp. It's... Thank you, Susan Santag. <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk about Santag later. Santag later. <laughs> We're a big Santag fan house here. Yes. And it's... And when you see it, and, it, and, and similar to, to Jenkins, you see... They wear their influences on on their sleeves. Uh, within the case of Almodovar, there's definitely a lot of nods to Cassavetes. Uh, mm -hmm. So many visual nods to Cassavetes. Mankiewicz, of course, uh, which you reference all about Eve, Fassbinder. But it's also really beautiful. The more you get to see the film, you see also the very localized influences. Uh, Spain has always had a history of queer culture, but given its circumstances, being in a dictatorship for 40 something years, a lot of that was squashed and uh, a lot of queer movements uh, were very underground for fear of safety. Um, and Almodovar, in many ways, it rejoices that, that that brings back the joy of, of, of a new Spain, of a new Spain that is free from that sort of oppressive uh, regime and, and almost kind of a love letter uh, to the place that he's born from. Yeah. 
you know, um, you brought up a lot of themes that kind of correlate with another film that I'm thinking of called Lords Anyways by Javier Dolan. Um, for all you who don't know, Javier Dolan is like 30 and a genius. He's made like several, several features. Um, he's had like a pretty prolific career. For being, he's from Canada. He's French Canadian. Um, so the film is in French. Um, and it's lovely. I, I really applaud the way that the film, for those who don't know, it's set in the 90s. Um, it's about someone named Lawrence who has a relationship with um, his girlfriend named Fred. Lawrence explains and comes out that, um, that she is transgender. And they confront the prejudice of their friends. They have to grapple with family dynamics, with their family not being accepting, with their own relationship, with um, the public opinion of what it means to be trans in the 90s. Um, and so it's very, very subversive. Even though it was made in 2012, I even think for that time it was a pretty subversive film to kind of tackle that theme of um, what it means to be subverting gender within a relationship and within a pretty heterosexual context of their environment, um, their job, their family and everything like that. Um, so they confront a lot of these prejudices and throughout it you really see a strong bond between Fred and Lawrence. And you see Fred oftentimes, like there are several scenes where Fred is like so connected that she stands up and defends Lawrence and really like makes a scene in a restaurant, like just really goes all in. Um, while also really struggling with the fact that her relationship with Lawrence is changing. the more it's a deeply it's become a deep more deeply personal film for me and my respective identity as a uh, a non-binary trans person um, I think when I first saw this film I, I had a hard time relating to to Fred now I think putting into context this film came out in 2012 as Carlos said 2012 me was probably not sympathetic to, to Fred. I mean, was not, it, I was not, I was not sympathetic to Fred at all. And now that I'm navigating a relationship that was once heteronormative, but I'm also going through this transition process uh, and questioning 
whether the limitations of my own transition have to do with me or have to do with the relationship conditions in which I'm in, which I think that's actually something that Lawrence grapples with a lot in her transition is how much of it is, what is her limit, what's her internal motivation and what's a societal motivation. It's something that I think as, as a trans person, I question that myself being, being like, well, if I got top surgery, do I want to do it for me? Um, how far will I go? Uh, it's something that I, I grapple with, even within the most kind of loving context. And I think now watching it again, I watched it in preparation for this film. I think that really hit close to home. Uh, in both aspects, I think these two characters are some of the most sympathetic uh, characters. Uh, and I think they become even more so as, as you get older almost. Um, as you kind of start seeing that things aren't black and white. I think that's also Xavier Zolan's transition as a, as a director. He's older when he first did his first film. He was like, what? 1718? Yeah, he's we're the same age as him. But he's all shit. He was all <laughs> shit. He said that he was better than Godard, which he does have better films than Godard in some aspects, but, but stay in your lane as well. <laughs> and because I think he has more in common in Godard than he wishes to to admit in terms of how his poli- personal politics change with age. Um, I, I I think with Xavier Dolan, 17-year-old Xavier Dolan had a much more visceral relationship with the his external influences that controlled his who that controlled his sexuality or influenced his sexuality and gender expression. I think now he's put a more gray lens on it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. I think that Xavier Dolan has like a pretty strong repertoire for queer films. I mean, in I Killed My Mother, the young, I don't know if you've seen it. It's but so visceral. It's so good because it's visceral and it's intimate and it's it's going to a boundary that I don't think a lot of films go to when we talk about mother-son relationships. Mm-hmm. Going time back to Moonlight, I think that it, it achieves the same goal of more than it being a film of a coming-of-age theme, we're also like really going in, we're like a fly on the wall in this really difficult relationship between a mother who's dealing with her environment while being a mother, while being in motherhood, and a young boy who we see grow up to be a young man. And we see this relationship kind of flux and influence um, the protagonist to really make the choices that he does throughout the film. And we see other like parental figures as well, like when we see Juan and like how in in Todo Sobre Mi Madre, we see a lot of other parental relationships kind of occur. And I think a big one is Rosa's relationship with her mother. Yeah, and, and how we talk about Camaiwela fits in. Yeah, how we talk about how her character fits into the narrative. 
So to put into context, uh, Rosa, which is apparently Greece's a hot nun, uh, she, she, she's she's in a monastery and she devotes her life to to people, and her end goal is to basically go out to El Salvador, which at that time was in in a civil war, and the mother uh, is just consistently disappointed with her. They don't, they don't get along at, at all. There's a certain falsehood because this mother can't, doesn't have a connection with her daughter. She creates fake paintings, fake reproductions of paintings. And my, yeah, I love that part. <laughs> it's like a, I just think that's like it's a, funny. It's a dream job. Like I thought, it's man, making, making fake reproductions of like Van Gogh's. I, I, that's I where that film is super tiny cheekle. but 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 manuela's relationship manuela is um played by celia roth and she's the the mother who loses her child is i think it's 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 very dynamic and it's very it's very truthful in all the senses of of motherhood the highs and lows um yeah what i was gonna say is that we see this relationship between rosa and her mother the art imitator and we like also witness her mother being extremely discriminatory towards um what is her name agrado yes i mean she's i mean she's like a high society she's like a wasp basically she's very waspy for spain she like but when we see her bring her in and have to because Rosa's under the impression that she's a sex worker. And so Agrado? Agrado. Agrado. Yeah. When Agrado is like introduced to the mother, she's completely like taken she's shunned because they think that she's a sex worker. And I think that that's a common theme in all of the films that we're talking about is discrimination against these queer figures, even if it's like super overt or um, a little bit more subtle. Like in Moonlight, there are a lot of his formative years, a lot of it is under very a very, 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 very stressed violence and discrimination. And so when he's in school studying in high school and he's like, beaten up and bullied and like he gets the shit kicked out of him and he retaliates and you see that really overt level of discrimination and harassment and homophobia and then once you go more into it you can see that there are discriminations with like how his mother treats him how it's It's kind of shown through the relationship that he then has with um, his old schoolmate when they're finally adults and meet again. I think that, again, like the relationship in Lawrence, anyways, with Fred and Lawrence, there's a lot of like this defense against the discrimination that Lawrence faces. And like, as a product of the discrimination, like, Fred also faces it, uh, being part of that relationship. Um, And 
how people retaliate, I think a lot of the time has to do with a lot of, I don't know if this makes sense, but like a lot of intimacy. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, there's a really overt level of bullying that someone may face. In Moonlight, for example, he then goes back to school and like throws a desk over that kid. Yeah, man. Harsh and that was harsh, and I was like, Oh, and it was visceral. And um, but then I also think that he does a lot of his inner work and retaliation against these environmental factors in his life is through intimacy intimacy with himself and with um, those people that are closest to him. Yeah, there's a certain, um, what I, with todo sobre mi madre, I, I enjoy that, that sort of intimacy as well. Um, it's, it's a different type of intimacy. It's just kind of laying it all bare, their, their, their imperfections, hell, even their, their attraction to one another. There's also very obvious that there, there's, there's a sexual component to it. Oh yeah. That's very fluid, but I think that it's 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 less it's not sexual through the through the male lens sexual. It's it's sexual in the sense of it's it's really true intimacy that is beautiful boundaries, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like like physical intimacy. They're they're incredibly physically intimate. Um there's a lot of care in, in, in their relationships. Right. I think that a lot of these films, the, like the, the thing that ties them all together is coming out of adversity with a new level of care for your fellow person. And that's really nice to see in queer cinema because I feel like a lot of the time, there's an ongoing trope that the queer person is killed, the queer person can't be in a good relationship, the queer person is exiled from their family, and sure, all these films also have aspects of that in, in each one of them. But I think what all these films kind of have in common is that they're, despite all of that punishment that a heteronormative society is putting on for them, they're reacting with care and love for for themselves and for their person. Um, and it's really lovely to see that in Moonlight because in the end scene, it fades out from Kevin and Sharon being together, like yeah. sharing a moment together and not necessarily us knowing like what will happen afterwards because it, that is still really ambiguous. But that at least for a moment, there's this level of intimacy that we're seeing. I think that it, because of the film like coming out when it did, didn't come out too long ago in 2016, right? Mm -hmm. So these themes of like, not only queer people, but like black male queer people are now kind of being displayed, like their characters being displayed in a very like intimate lens. Um, and I think like 
that is something that's still relatively new and not necessarily widely accepted. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of examples of that in, in earlier films too, like in Pariah. Yeah. I think that it's funny because that, that last scene with them reminds me of um, Happy Together, which we'll probably talk about, the Wong Kar Wai film. Um, long story short, without going into too much detail, Wong Kar Wai's film is about a uh, gay couple that they go through a breakup while they're basically backpacking through Brazil and Argentina. And it's, it's very sad. <laughs> but the level of intimacy between these two men, um, intimacy that, that went beyond just the sexual, um, I think a lot of those influences you see as well in, in Moonlight. I feel like those, it's shot by shot, very similar and very beautiful. The intimacy between those two characters, I think that it's super almost obvious in Lawrence anyways, where you see that they are, despite like all of these barriers and all of these like societal pressures to be a certain way and fit into a box, these two people are are denying or not denying, but are rechazando. How do you say that? Rejecting? Rejecting. Recoiling? I don't know. I feel like... Yeah, like, are you rejecting the societal, like, measures of what me what it means to be, like, a good person? That's hard. It is hard. I think that that, again, like, they all have that. But I'd really like to find a queer film that doesn't have all of these similar themes. Because what I was saying with the trope of a queer person is never allowed to be happy. If it's a coming-of-age film, it's always tragic. There's the stereotype of the of the trope of the like tragic queer death or yeah. some type of like rejection from society in like a really heavy way. Um, I mean, there are a lot that do that. For example, yeah, I feel. So I think that's one of the one of the things that sometimes I, I I grapple with with Almodovar is that even even Almodovar being a gay man, sometimes he he plays into really problematic tropes, um, and I think there's a a lot of it in his later films that are more evident. And I think, um, I sometimes I grapple with the um, the HIV. Um, I don't want to say it's a subplot because it's not a subplot, um, but I think it's sometimes treated as a subplot. Um, but yeah, uh, especially the fact that Manuela's Manuela's spouse um, turns out has HIV, and um, without kind of spoiling it, um, basically leads to a series of events in which one um, a character dies, an important character, and. And that sort of is taken with a lot of, makes a lot of care in the film. Um, in, in the sense that it's, it's more of the shared illness 
that, that is treated with in terms of such care. Um, AIDS? Huh? HIV? Yeah, I think it's it's tragic. I mean, you have a character that, you have multiple characters that end up dying from, from HIV. Right. And I think on one hand, I grapple with, like, it's playing into these stereotypical tropes. But on the other hand, I think it's a very realistic portrait of what was going on in... Mm-hmm. In the 90s. In the 90s in Spain. Yeah. I think, and in the 90s in a global sense, too. Yeah. I think it's... Um, I think sometimes I understand... I, I do understand that a lot of these tropes are, are outplayed 100%. And I think we need to present a diverse range. A lot of these things also have to consider the nuance of the times as well. People didn't... There was no... You know, vaccine development for HIV was still in you know pretty you know early stages, and, and not I'm sorry, not vaccine. I mean, in terms of treatment, um, people people still people still associated it with homosexual relationships, and I think that with I think it's very shocking in Spain. I think if that that is imagine. I think about it living, living in a more Catholic country like here, and growing up surrounded by Catholicism in Puerto Rico, and the idea of a nun getting pregnant and contracting HIV from a from from a transgender female, I think it's very shocking. I think it's very in 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 your face about mm-hmm. it. It's it's very much like this isn't delegated to a certain subgroup, right? Yeah, because it's it's a nun. It's a nun. Every other context, it's like oh, they're a sex worker or, um, it's tropes. It's yeah. it's one trope after the other. But I, I I think the way that it 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 deals with it. Um, that's why I think that the concept of tragedy is handled in a really thoughtful way for these films. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not the jump scare like equivalent of a horror film. Like I think that the trope has like is so widely used and not necessarily with queer filmmakers. Not necessarily with um, these filmmakers who have a more comparative lived experience to the characters that they're writing, mm-hmm. as opposed to the same like trope, I think racially and with sexual orientation and yeah. gender, a lot of those tropes are perpetuated by people and directors, filmmakers who are not in touch with that community that they're that they're writing about. No, absolutely. Like in in the case of I, I think what I in the case of Todo sobre mi madre, I th- what was I think really great is that you get to hear Rosa's perspective because Manuela confronts her and was like, did she, like did she did she rape you? Did she? And she's like, no, this was of my own volition Mm -hmm. like i this was consensual this was consensual Mm -hmm. and i think 
I think though, obviously Lola is is a very very flawed human uh, and very selfish human. I think it puts it in also a more sympathetic light. That is not that it's this aggressive attacker coming out of nowhere. It's 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 a byproduct of a, of a relationship. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of films that have nothing to do with this, but like use those tropes for their own like cheap advantage. Because there's a way to like there's no real caricature of any type of character here in these films. Like there's really no like these these characters are really like well rounded and three dimensional. Yeah. That I think it's easier to cheapen a character. And throw them into a trope in a box, and then kill them off. Yeah. Because who cares? They're just two-dimensional. Doesn't matter. But like with those of mi madre, where you see Rosa like really get to know like her flaws and like who she is, like her relationship with Manuela, like this whole another side of what we think a nun's supposed to be. Yeah. In Spain in the nineties, and also like what we think. Um, other characters in that film are too. Like we see Manuela as like a very kind of like, when I first watched it, it was like, oh, this like waspy woman, like with her son and like, you know, she's like a healthcare worker and she seems pretty straight laced. And then you see that like, she goes back to her lady that's very dynamic yeah. and very trans and sex worker and very, joyful and like but also like living a very difficult life um they kind of are displayed as like i think more dynamic and are given more justice than films that try to like cheapen that kind of character yeah does that make sense no no 100 percent. i mean i think I think it was in in a, a lot of ways it, that complicated portrayal of motherhood is so good. It's so it's so good. Um, I mean, in the case of like Naomi Harris's character, I in um, Moonlight, she she's such a she's such a complicated figure. She's so sympathetic. She's so sympathetic because I. She's a product of her environment. Like she's so sympathetic, as like a person who is just dealt like a really bad hand that has to do with it in some way. She's alone, and it's all part of a system. Yeah. Because one enables the system, and she's Two. she's completely disconnected from her community. Like she's kind of exiled. She's like left to her own resources. And as a, as, a, as a result of that, like, that's where Little really suffers. Yeah, it's that type of pain. I think in a lot of senses, Manuela also dealt with that. I think in a lot of senses, I always say this, and I guess it's more controversial, but I think that her son dying also relieved a lot of burden for her. I think while she loved her son... Hot take. I know. Whoa! No, I, I think that while... Obviously, she loved her son, and there's grief in that. I, I think it was very obvious that she was acting this 
this role, this part, mm-hmm. this part that was like straight laced and kind of thrown on her. Yeah, and that's go on. No, 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 no. Exactly. Like the scenes, like the fact that she part of her job is like doing reinterpretations, mm-hmm. acting like someone having a heart attack or someone being sick and and deals with transplants like like modified people mm-hmm. um it's 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 very like almost fabricated that sense and i feel like the with her son's death while there's so much grief so much grief there's also that sort of relief like the relief from the past the relief like of the relief of the like motherhood like kind of placed on her. Yeah. And someone else to kind of do it alone. Someone else to do it alone and also being reminded of this 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 person that you that hurt you incredibly because that's what happened with mm-hmm. Lola. I mean I mean was abusive and everything. Imagine, you know, having your having your abuser's kid that's that is that's that's what I, I never thought about that until recently and i and i was i was, was like oh at first i like i sometimes didn't find manuela sympathetic but then i was like man she had her abuser's kid like there's a lot of complication within that not only that but then she went back to that community to like reacquaint herself with it. yeah mm-hmm. so I that's that's what I mean in terms of that sense of relief you know because I think it's also that's also that community is like an expression of herself that was very that was suppressed she loved acting she always wanted to do acting right <clears throat> she loved Barcelona and yes, <clears throat> and, it, and it makes you think about um, like how in our personal lives in society are like the, the pressure of being a mother or the pressure of motherhood placed on so many people is can be so like such a destruction to one's goals or mental health or quality of life. Like, in what way did Little and his mother have, like, an actual healthy relationship? Yeah. It was not displayed, I don't know. But it wasn't, like, necessarily good for either ones to grow up in that environment. But that environment, again, is a product of a system that keeps black and brown people in these boxes. So I think something very powerful is that there can be... A different way to look at parenthood than just I have to bear this child and I have to raise them and then I even if I can't or even if it's hard even if I'm alone and then there is this other way of looking at parenthood that's is more communal more part of a community um, more like Juan with little is a good depiction of a really profound way of raising a child 
and giving them a lot of integrity and a lot of support and accountability. And I think that we don't see that kind of like relationship or dynamic very much in cinema in that kind of way. And the Oscar goes to... Pedro! What about my mother? This is Spain's 18th nomination and the second for director Pedro Almodovar, who was nominated in 1988 for his film Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to lend your support for the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave some feedback. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at Beyond Bisexual Lighting. Thanks again, and we'll see you next month.